Welcome to Kindred Media, a nonprofit initiative of Kindred World. Kindred has gathered thought leaders, researchers, and activists exploring the new story of the human family for over 15 years. Visit our website for our new story features, interviews, podcasts, and video collections at www.kindredmedia.org. Welcome to Kindred. This is Lisa Reagan. And today I'm so honored to be talking to Rhea Komarek, who is going to talk with us about the emerging fields of polyvagal theory, continuum, and somatic movement. Dr. Komarek is a chiropractor in Napa, California, and she specializes in helping people move from states of stuckness and stress into more embodied states of health and wholeness. So welcome, Rhea. Thank you. Glad to be here with you, Lisa. I, I have to go down the memory lane really quickly and say um, last time we worked together, you were here in Virginia and we were filming Love Bomb, your documentary. I treasure that memory very much so, especially was- because it was with Joseph Chilton Pierce and mm-hmm. such a profound conversation and feeling with him. Yep. Yep. And I remember I live out in the country here in Virginia. And I remember Greg, your director of photography, and we were on our way to see Joe. And I was remarking about our traffic here where I live. And I think there were two cars and there was a sign up that somebody's bull was loose somewhere on one of these roads. And both of you were hysterical in the car saying, are you kidding? <laughs> like, yeah, look at all this traffic. And there's some bull running around here. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a funny memory. I don't remember that particular remember moment, that that's- We were on the news nationally for that bull running around for a while. So, yes, and the uh, the beautiful video of Joe, uh, um, some of the film we just released on Kindred, uh, uh, Rhea shared it with us, and we'll put that near this interview so you can see some of the footage of Joe Pierce, who has passed um, by now, but he is still, his influence uh, on Kindred's work is felt every day here. So... And speaking of, I would love to hear your personal story of moving from focusing on wellness to wholeness in the last few years. Sure. Well, I think interestingly, I think it began with a conversation on the podcast I had started creating with my husband and we were exploring wholeness conceptually. And then my body invited me into a whole greater exploration of it inside myself. I think I might encapsulate it by moving from a goal-oriented experience inside of the body as I'm going to get well, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to reach a peak experience inside of my body, I'm going to have epic energy every day, Um, really a made-up idea about some measurement tool by which I might celebrate myself as conquering frailty, I might say. And so for me, a journey towards wholeness, I would say the primary threads I was meeting was symptoms inside of myself that I finally figured out was related to mercury, actually mercury and lead and arsenic high levels of toxicity in my body. And at the same time, I was journeying through my mom um, making her way towards death and then dying. And I might encapsulate that as in chiropractic, we look at, we call it the three T's to simplify. It's essentially our body's ability to manage the mental, emotional types of traumas that we might be faced with either longer term, like walking a parent through death or someone else, chemical traumas, So how chemical toxicity is affecting us inside of our body or environmentally that we're experiencing it. And then physical ones like injury or uh, lack of movement, things like that. So for me, I experienced this time where my body just said, sorry, we've been as resilient as we possibly can. And now uh, you're gonna have to really face being inside of a body that is not gonna be resilient for a while. And in, in brief, that looked like leading my nervous system towards constant um, panic attacks, dread, really being stuck in extreme dysregulation. And 
that put me on a journey towards discovering both applied polyvagal theory and then the continuum work that I've started apprenticing to teach and share with others. So I think for me, what it did is it created an invitation to really align with life differently, which was a worldview change and a worldview change that had to happen inside of my body's experience of healing. And I think it started with, well, if my identity is based on a worldview that my habits and my life and my lifestyle and my chiropractic and, you know, this tool and that tool is supposed to get me to this epic thing called wellness where I'm impenetrable <laughs> to, uh, you know, all those three T's. If that's true and I'm in this state, then something's missing, something's wrong. And so that's that opportunity then that I think I had to have an invitation to expand my worldview and find new tools to feel better inside my body. And I'd say at the same time, those tools that I was finding were also about befriending my current state so that it wasn't so much, I have to force myself to change, but the invitation became, okay, if this is, if this is how I'm going to be experiencing body in my life, then okay, let me find a way to move with this. So as that shifted, I think then my body could become more and more resilient, which is what we're finding too with befriending and with polyvagal theory to some degree is that that friendliness, it actually decreases our inflammation because it puts the nervous system into a, a more um, optimal operating system through which healing can occur. And then we can feel resourced, resourceful, and therefore find more resources and actually improve. So we might get to a result called wellness or called health, uh, but the friendliness along the way is actually what really contributes to that healing. So then for me, wholeness becomes this ongoing journey, I would say, of a collaboration between my mind and my worldview and my actual lived experience and my ability to feel my feet on the ground today mm -hmm. and meeting the life material that is in my life and saying, okay, I'll move with this versus this shouldn't be happening. Or let me resist this because my mindset is so great that I will conquer, you know, even the fact that I have challenges, I can conquer it through changing my mind or affirming that it's different. Um, yeah, it really has become a journey of okay, how will I move with this today? How will I befriend myself? And, and I think in that process, then we can definitely become more resilient to facing the great challenges that we need to be able to, to, to face and be um, creative with. Well, it's interesting just as our world out there is entering a, a, a real state of self-composting that on one hand is needed and on the other hand is pretty dramatic. Um, these fields are emerging that are helping us to have skills and practices to go inward and language. The, the ones I listed when I introduced you, the polyvagal theory and somatic movement, um, the insights from a lot of the uh, fields that are coming forward now are uh, science-based, but also um, really skillful in helping us to turn inward, which can be, uh, I was saying before we started recording this past year, that phrase of, people doom scrolling in fetal positions while on their Twitter feed, um, it's hard to put down your phone and look away because of what has been happening in the world. Um, but at the same time, um, the, the world is the way it is because we don't have self-aware, self-regulated people. So, you know, how do we cross uh, that bridge into the place for, for myself, I have to give myself permission and <laughs> say, no, no, it's gonna be okay talk myself through, walk away, walk away, it's okay. Um, so tell us about these, some of the fields and the practical pieces that are waiting for us when we do put down the phone and walk away and walk towards ourselves and begin that inward journey. I feel one of the, one of, to contextualize that, 
invitation, I it's about safety. So po applied polyvagal theory or polyvagal theory really has a, a big piece of if my interior space, if I can interpret my interior space as safe and my exterior space as safe, then I can be in what's called that safe and social place. And from that place, then I can access a worldview that says something it, for everyone, it's different, but it would be safe and social. So it would have some sense of, I have tools to give and I live in an interconnected world where I can interact with others that I trust to, to move forward and create an empowered solution-oriented future where everyone can have a supported place to be. So when we're not in that physiological place of safety, um, whether it's interior or exterior, then we will be in a different worldview. And there's many of them, but inside applied polyvagal theory, we, we might be in one that's a really collapsed or shut down one that fetal position that you're talking about, like the fetal position scrolling um, on Twitter or whatever social media feed it might be, that's that's the system trying to establish safety through mm -hmm. a crouched position, which is really going into this uh, frozen state or collapsed state, and then trying to be resourced at the same time through a frantic brain that is saying, in order to solve this problem, I have to solve this problem more which is counterproductive. So putting it down as a great idea and actually just landing in that fetal position and humming to oneself would be a, a really great physical thing to do actually to start to tonify the system and nurture the system. Actually, one of the things I heard in a talk, Deb Dana, who is a, a profound character inside of the applied polyvagal theory world, talked about it as if your safe and social nervous system or your ventral vagus, your home base of safe and social can actually parent the dysregulated part of us, the home away from home that we go to of maybe that crouched position, or I actually call that one, I've been naming it my turtle self, you know, it's the like, I'm going in the shell now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have this upregulated one that um, for me, that's like when I hit the roof and that one's really highly charged. It's one of them is uh, safe, uh, sorry, unsafely mobilized. So dysregulated and mobilized state and one is unsafely immobilized inside the system. So some of the work then is that invitation to that you're talking about is that invitation to um, befriending the interior space of the self so that the interior space can be a space of friendliness and refuge. So it can tonify the parts of us that want to go off track, either in a immobilized place, a, a deep fetal position, uh, or this racy space. And even that fetal position, I've actually been literally working with it and moving with it. And one of my other continuum teachers, Marcella Botero, did some work with us, I think it was in November around the, um, the embryo pose. So in, in yoga, they have it as child's pose. So it's, can I be in, in the, in this fetal position? And we can all feel that, you know, or the, the scared fetal position is a scared one and it's hiding. And then what happens if I bring some nurturing energy in there and maybe a warm blanket or, um, lay on a, a warm space or hold on. Sometimes I hold on to uh, heated river rocks and um, maybe then add in some nurturing, soft, gentle music. And you can feel that pose, that posture. When you add that tone into it, it shifts it in the body from heightened, I can't be with the world to now I'm being nurtured. So that now in my nurturing, my nervous system can receive that tonification and it starts to get signals of safety. And then it can move itself through a befriending into that ventral vagal state, which is really different than forcing it to be there or dominating it from the top down from a mind that's saying, oh, you can't be in that fetal position. That's bad. You know, you're supposed to be strong and valiant and your mindset should actually be um, open to the world. So get out of that state and get open. You know, it's like a very different that. way. <laughs> and go through that Starbucks drive-through so you can keep going. So, <laughs> so true. Yeah. Culturally, we amp it. Well, culture, you know, culturally, 
in my observation, we tend to live and celebrate a barely regulated, upregulated state. So it's not always like frenetic and totally dysregulated, but we live in, uh, we celebrate top of the mountain successes and heightened, um, heightened states of being conquering things, big things. And so in living there, we have very little tone in a safe and social ventral vagal uh, calm place uh, where we can engage with one another in this more relaxed way. And so from there, we're on a very quick train to dysreg to full dysregulation. Yeah. So speak to us for a moment about the importance of this more downregulated state as a mother. Sure. And I would like to refer to it as regulated. So I've been hearing the term downregulated if, and yet if we're downregulated, we're actually going into a collapsed state. So to be in this tonified space as a mother is I think one of the greatest challenges and one of the most important things that we can do because from, you know, and you and I've seen this story previous to polyvagal theory, looking at it for a long time, we've looked at how states affect, you know, the state during par perinatal psychology and the states of a mother, even while the child's in utero, um, affecting the child's neurology or nervous system, and even where it's going to access itself towards, am I preparing for a safe uh, place or an unsafe place as I enter into the planet. Um, so in that sense, our nervous systems are already a bit set from uh, where the nervous system of who gestated us is. And then also actually ancestrally, we know it goes back now. So we have certain uh, pathways in our beings where we tend towards being in these different nervous systems set regulation patterns. So back to being a mom, goodness, when we have this child with us, our systems, we're sort of faced in this moment where we get to tonify our systems and look at, okay, my child is fully dependent on my state of regulation for my child's learning. Uh, because we're co-regulatory, I, sorry, I feel a little bit uh, like I'm I hope I'm not being too confusing, but I'll back yeah. it up to say in childhood or our nervous systems are designed to regulate co-regulatory. And so children learn self-regulation only through establishing co-regulation as a, as a regulated nervous state, as a home base, their home base is set by the primary caregivers, whether that primary caregiver is a mother or father or whatever mix that might be. So they're learning it from us. And so there's a vitality in learning how to befriend our own nervous system so that we can help our child befriend theirs and also recognize what's the tone of the home and what's the tone of the people in the home so that ideally they're learning regulation. And they also learn it from watching us and our pathways to and fro these different states. So it's really not about holding a frozen place of like, I am peaceful at all times, but more so they you know, I, I like how in uh, Waldorf world, which I've learned a lot from, they talk about modeling, how we model learning or we model recovery. And so that's, you know, for my child to be able to model it for him. Uh, yep. I got really angry there. And so now I'm doing this tool, whether I'm meditating or I'm drawing my emotions with him, or I'm, he literally is in the room a lot with me while I do my movement meditation practice, the continuum practice. So by modeling his nervous system gets to actually see me um, moving through these pathways and he gets to move through them as well. And I just want to go a little deeper into the actual practices themselves, because I know uh, you do have some on your website and we'll send people there. Um, but some of them are so uh, simple and in the moment and breathing. And uh, I'm just wondering if you could just share some of the, the real practical pieces um, that are available to us. Yeah, so in terms of how to, you mean like practices that help the body to be in a reg more regulated or fluid state? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm even thinking when you're doing this and your child is present. Um, so, one of the things I love is that the toolkit for what might help somebody's nervous system regulate is gigantic. 
there's resources that come with all kinds of breath techniques, all kinds of meditation techniques, and all kinds of movement techniques. So something my child's used to me seeing is as simple as mom's gone outside again to lay on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Oh, great. <laughs> He's really used to it. It's like mom has, she's, it's not the stop, drop and roll. It's just stop. Drop. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, that's great. Right? And I've, I've, I literally do that. And especially out, you know, I, when it's warm enough out, I have my little spot where I go. And of course I'm landing on the earth for some earthing and grounding. I just put my body. It's like, my body's not feeling, um, attuned and regulated. So I'm going to plop it onto mother earth and just let it lay there and be attuned. And okay, now I'm feeling the sun on my skin. Okay. And now I'm hearing the sound of the birds and all these things are resources that can help to attune the body inside of the vocabulary of continuum as a movement tool, as a somatic tool, there's a combination of resources in there, which it would have to do with breath pacing, sounding, and different movements, as well as the quality of attention with yourself. So that, and that's kind of the container there. So it would be a quality of attention that's kind and reverent to oneself already, which really you can hear that weaves in with the befriending inside of that applied polyvagal theory as well. So even just attending to oneself, putting your hands on your heart with a friendliness and a kindness to say, I'm here for you. And that becomes part of this continuum practice. That also is as simple as the self-compassion techniques that I learned a while back from Dr. Kristen Neff. These things all weave together. We're being very inspired by a lot of ancient threads, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hands-on oneself with a comp- in this compassionate way and then sounding through continuum where we might do f- different forms of humming, different sounds that go into the tissues and help us access that interoceptive or that inner feeling relationship mm-hmm. in a way that the system can tolerate and feel okay with and feel open to. Um, because like we said with that story at the beginning when my nervous system was really off, I could hardly access safe calming. So the ability to safely immobilize is really crucial to our health and our well-being. And so if the system can't do that from certain shocks or traumas or things that the body's experienced, then these tools can help us. And I think one of the important concepts inside of that is a principle called titration. So moving with respect to what the system feels safe with. And I think that's why I really like this framework of befriending and inside applied polyvagal theory, this idea that not every resource is for every person. Mm. There's some people for whom there's certain breath patterns, for instance, you can do a shorter inhale with a pause that's longer than your inhale and then an exhale that's longer than that. And it can be great and effective for many people in creating more calm, ventral, vagal, safe and social tone. Uh, But for some people that can create panic. Yes, right. And so I think what I love about it is it's really a way of looking at life resources and saying what works for me today. What a departure that is uh, to say what works for me today, then the wellness uh, movement, especially early on, and I was a part of it, um, that was trying to figure out the right way to do everything and put everyone in this cookie cutter. uh, Well, I guess they're not doing it right because, you know, they're, they have this issue or they have whatever, a lot of shaming going on. And now we know uh, too, I just, you know, I always have to contextualize what we're talking about when we say we're going to try to work with the body. Um, And this is not to be negative, it's to be positive because what we are up against with 80,000 chemicals in our environment and our food, and uh, with I think it's over half the population now has chronic inflammation issues. And we're looking at 
um, you know, our health and wellness as a population, especially in the United States, is uh, at the bottom of all indicators compared to other developed nations. So we need all the help we can get, but we're still outer focused. And to say that we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to, we're still doing that, I think, uh, that what you were talking about earlier, aggressively pursuing an ideology that's not based on uh, befriending our, our nervous systems. And okay, we're going to go into a fetal position now. How can we do this in an effective, helpful way? <laughs> this is where we're going to be. This is the direction we're heading. Let's work with this. Wow, it feels different. You can feel into that. Um, How does it feel? It feels like relief. Like, wow, I don't have to do that to myself. Yeah, and then what, what do you feel like comes next with that relief from that fetal position? Attention. Really wanting to know what is going on in there. Curiosity, what is happening? Uh, and working with myself. I wrote an article last year about, I was in Napa, California, actually. Um, I went to California 2019 um, for two different conferences. And one of the uh, Work-Life Law Center conference, I was there and I talked about what it's like to try to travel cross country and then around the state of California for a couple of weeks with my family who are used to me having to pace myself with my own inflammatory issues. And, uh, you know, and now it's, uh, uh, the name of the, the article is Nursing Narratives. But it's, I, I started off with this piece of, I have to listen. It's, it's not an option anymore for me. And I know a lot of people like me, the listening piece is going to be first or nothing else is going to happen. And then I, what I had noticed over the years as an activist is how we don't listen in this culture. We don't listen to each other, much less our own bodies. So this became a revelation to me because I was out there um, traveling with my compassionate family, moving me from, we, we had a fantastic time. We were out there for weeks going from B&B, Airbnb to Airbnb. And then I went to this conference and the conference at the Work-Life Law Center um, that's uh, at the University of California at Hastings was on how do we get legislators in all of these different states to listen to us and to get us, uh, get, you know, the breastfeeding policy passed and there's a, a huge um, language uh, studies around how to speak to conservative le legislators. What are their words that they like? How to speak to um, the um, more liberal uh, legislators and, and what language do we want to use there? How do we get people's attention because we're talking about helping mothers and babies move into relationship that's necessary, absolutely critical for lifelong health in this country and they're not listening. So it seems like this state of not listening is the normative default state anyway that we live in right now. And this aggressive pursuing some kind of ideology of what you were saying earlier, success looks like, uh, well, it doesn't look like us not getting moms and babies the support they need uh, to create lifelong wellness. And that we have to, you know, that what we have to go through to be heard is unbelievable. So, but this, um, yeah, that's, that was a, um, an interesting article for me to write because I had to travel to get to California and I'd listen to myself the whole time. And I finally get to this conference at the end after like three weeks of being out there. And it's all about listening and getting somebody to listen to you. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> here we are. This is, uh, <laughs> this is what's really going on here. Nobody's listening. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that goes back to physiological state, actually, which is what I find so profound about the polyvagal map and uh, once disheartening and at the other time hopeful. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the dishearteningness comes from knowing that we have a perfect soup that appears to be on the one hand pushing dysregulated states and dysregulated therefore relating because unless we're in a safe and social nervous system state we're not safe and social and so we're not listening and the other component of that is that you actually can't hear literally in, in our ears the quality of our neurology inside of our ears changes when we dysregulate and we can no longer hear 
as much bandwidth inside of people's voices. And so we become less skillful at a, being able to interpret whether the sounds coming from somebody's voice are safe and social or whether they're hardening and our voices actually harden as well. We lose the, I'm forgetting the term for it, but the breadth of our different voices intonations. So we do actually physiologically lose the ability to hear when we go into these dysregulated states. And then, then our bodies cue to other bodies that they're not safe because they're not picking up cues of safety from us. And the whole thing snowballs itself. And of course, that's the disheartening part of it. But then the heartening part of it is that as we have this unveiling language to look at and implement into our daily lives, and what we're seeing is applied polyvagal theory starting to pop up all over the place um, in medicine and education. I'm really hoping to see it really pop up in terms of how we're looking at public health and the crossover of actually systemic racism in public health, because it's so written in there in terms of um, safety or lack of safety and threat, um, even in terms of how we uh, deal with microaggressions inside the body, where it puts our systems in terms of safety. So there's so much that is exciting in terms of how it can help validate and move forward systemic change in lots of different avenues. Uh, so, can I have you just pause and tell us, just in case, I'm afraid we're going to leave somebody in the dust with uh, the polyvagal theory. What is it? Um, sure. Uh, so we can make sure everybody is on the same page. Yeah, definitely. So at Crux, polyvagal theory looks at, in a sense, it looks at how our bodies perceive, it's called neuroception is the word for it, but it looks at how does our bodies perceive whether or not we are safe or uh, relatively safe enough to be in what's called safe and social neurology or um the world around me is safe and I can operate in a peaceful way, socially engaged. So that neuroceptive piece is part of polyvagal theory. And we're constantly looking at our environments and perceiving our environments, both inside our bodies and the world around us and saying, am I safe or not? And now there's a special little tracker nerve inside of us, the vagal, the, the vagus nerve working in conjunction with nerves up on our heads. So if you were to touch like your forehead and your ears and your jaw, those all correspond together to either grip and say, okay, I'm no longer safe. And now once our systems interpreted that, okay, I'm no longer in a safe space, the nervous system has two primary pathways it might head to. One would be fight or flight, which is that upregulated state. Uh, of where the mind then feels racing. It's no longer really connected to others. That's a dominating world. It's a dominating worldview. I have to get away or I have to fight. And all the mind goes into this frenetic racing worldview space. And then from there, there's the collapsed or frozen state where the mind on a subtle level could just go into like fog brain or fogging over or lack of ability to focus. And then on a, a more intense side, that's deep, intense depression, um, giving up deep shames, those ones, those, you know, you think of it just as we talked about it earlier in that kind of like that fetal hidden position. And so that's at the base of it, that's the neurology inside of us. And then when we look at applying it, it's looking to say, how can we help that nervous system to feel and interpret the world uh, in a safer standpoint so that a person can have that safe and social abilities and then be able to navigate life, hopefully in a way that might start minimizing um, slamming into the dysregulated state so rapidly or fast. And everyone has different speeds through which they move through those and a, a healthy nervous system and person is gonna navigate through those on a daily basis. Um, they might just not, it just might feel like, oh, now I'm fogging over a little bit and okay, now I'm more excited and ready to engage. Although you did name it earlier, a lot of our culture overrides it through caffeine um, and sugar. <laughs> 
Well, at my age, though, I have found uh, a counter uh, point to that um, cultural bias and wanting us to stay uh, hijacked and dysregulated. And that is my community. I have, you know, at my age now, a community of women and men who are aware of themselves and their work and what they're doing. And you know, I was thinking about how you were describing how you model um, your capacity for self-regulation and, and awareness for your child. And I, I just uh, can't even uh, I, I, I just get stuck, like ner you know, my nervous system freezes up trying to explain how the gloriousness of having a community of people who are there for you when you do hit dysregulated states, because we are here, we're together, we're in the space between the old and new story, as we talk about on Kindred, and it really is uh, this journey um, that you're taking together. So I, could you speak a little bit um, about that? What I think is a, one of the most beautiful aspects of being a human being is one, we have these inner capacities that, as you know, Joe told us in, in your Love Bomb movie, um, that, are, that we have amazing capacities and we have these self-limiting beliefs. And he was asking us to go inward and discard and discover and discard these self-limiting beliefs so we can unleash and, and really um, embrace our amazing capacities. But the, the most beautiful aspect of this has been um, community to share uh, this, this part. Um, because now when you have your skills and you have your ability to really communicate and connect with others um, in this safe way, something happens. Can you kind of speak to that a little? Yeah, I think that, I think it's written in our bodies in the sense that it's called safe and social and knowing that we absolutely depend on co-regulation with others in order to feed and fuel our ability to self-regulate. And it's constantly a feedback loop. And I also think or I experience that it's unique for every person. So every person's gonna have a different level through which co-regulation feels good and community feels good or feels threatening. Mm -hmm. And that inside the culture of different community experiences, that's also going to affect an individual uniquely. And there'll be certain communities that people feel um, more naturally harmonic and safe and social in and others they wouldn't. I think what I can share is that we just know based on our bodies that there's an imperative for it. And I think one of the healing things that can happen is turning a lens on it to know how vital it is. And then to check in with oneself to really honestly, or just befriendingly, lovingly say, okay, if I know that safe and social is going to nourish me, which ones will nourish me? And that's something that I play with and work with quite a bit in terms of my Zoom activities and different groups or communities that I might be engaging with on Zoom. And then also for me knowing the how I feel in individual engagement um, and how I feel in group engagements and lovingly placing those within my own rhythm, weekly and monthly, so that I'm being loving to myself about it too. I'm not forcing that I'm supposed to be community driven or I'm supposed to be in community and because that can be its own out. So it's like, I think for me, it's about feeling, is this, is this an outer concept I just received that I'm about to place on myself mm. as a new mandate or is, oh, you know, or, you know, what level of truth, what does it feel like to me? And I think that's where really knowing oneself gently and lovingly and befriendingly comes in because that way it can, we can attune back to the body, back to the body, back to the body. And what is my experience and befriending one's cues to say, okay. And, and I guess there's a piece I want to touch on. It's because the more we do that, the more resilient our system comes, the more we can step into spaces and community that will, will challenge our status quo or will challenge our, um, held beliefs and we will have the resilience to feel, oh, this is challenging me, but I'm strong enough in my system to actually feel that challenge. And then, okay, that's enough 
whipping of my worldview or enough challenging of my sense of, because safety can also be comfort or status quo. So it's like, okay, we want to develop enough resilience to, to meet challenging material. And I, I think about that just in terms of the learning I've been doing or the unlearning I've been doing around whether it's systemic racism or, you know, we were starting to talk about that story change from a domination culture to what you're working, Kindred's calling that indigenous culture. All that requires flexibility in the system, which requires safety in the system. And the goal is not perpetual unchallenge of held beliefs that could be harming other people. You know, the, the ultimately from a societal standpoint, I think it would be enough safety in the system, enough safety in my system that collectively we can have more safety in our systems to be more flexible and fluid to feel those flutterings of newness or change or challenge to the status quo so that we can move ourselves somewhere and kind of know, okay, it's my turn to be in the cozy fetal position now for a little while. And I'm going to fill up my, fill myself and attune, or like you were saying on your journey, on your trip of inquiry, I have to attune to my system now because it will you know, fall flat. If I don't, you know, my own system has gone through that with lovingly attending to it with its sensitivities that I'm still living with following the mercury and the other, um, nervous system challenges. So maybe that's that sense too, where we can trust our own life picture. And I think for me, ultimately that's where it contextualizes myself into the soul or the spiritual journey as well. Well, I just want to thank you so much for creating this image. Um, you know, Carl Gustav Jung said, our ideals are rudders. They're not a place you get to. So it's important to understand what you were saying about you're not putting, your, putting another weight on yourself when you have an ideal or an image in your mind um, that, you know, oh, they're, they're, you know, now I have more to do but this rudder because I think of uh, 25 years ago or so when I was planning on becoming a, a new mother I didn't have this insight I didn't have the bottom up insight with the, the nervous system regulation nobody talked about that and then the top down what's going on culturally and how do you discern narratives that are not empowering narratives. And now that we're, you know, we, we truly have moved forward just tremendously, despite, again, despite what you, you see in your Twitter feed, <laughs> don't go there, come to Kindred <laughs> to get the new story. Because I, I see where I was and I imagine uh, now this mother who understands the importance of laying on the ground to show her child, oh, this is me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna regulate now, and I'm going to be self-aware. I'm gonna tend myself, and then the this person who also has the capacity to move with other adults out into the world together. Uh, it feels like a path of sustainable activism. This is how we're gonna go forward. We're gonna really do deep listening and tending of our bodies. And become body centric is a term I've heard you use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and I also went through the same struggle of how you named it that top down thinking, which is comes from great optimism. And, you know, we do, we can look at the world and say, oh my goodness gracious, we're going wrong. Just like Joseph Chilton Pierce's book after book was showing, you know, and, and, and yet if we apply it top down versus finding it in our bodies, we're going to hit this place where our system's not going to trust ourselves, actually. I think that's ultimately what I found inside myself was that in trying to, you know, conquer fear or, uh, yeah, that's probably it. Con you're conquering the fear part, that part of ourselves terrified of ourselves. <laughs> and so it just starts quivering. It can feel us coming and mine does too now. So I, ha I have to be really aware of what is the way in which I'm attending to myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't, it's coming to me, I think through my parenting. So maybe I'll just share it as one more little bridge or way we've been putting it into our family rhythm. Many parents or many people probably do this simple childhood thing where you share roses and thorns. Did you do that? Uh, okay. I did not, but I've heard of it. 
Okay. So you share your, you share your roses and thorns. It's really common. We've been doing it around the table for a long time. Well, I finally realized that was a teachable moment. So when we, now I order it intentionally for our bodies, where we put it. Tell us what it is. Tell us what it is. So um, if we were to share our rose and thorn, we would share, I would share something that felt um, difficult for me today or challenging for me today. And so uh, traditionally you would just share that one. Okay. This was challenging for me today. I happen to know my dad's going through something challenging while we're doing this interview. So, okay, that that's the thorn. And then my rose would be, this is the old way of doing it. And then my rose would be having this amazing conversation with you and thinking about all the positive potential for humanity and, um, the sense of co-regulation, of others being able to drop in and hear our voices while maybe they need to have this sense of change. A new layer for that would be adding in, I knew, I know that something challenging is happening that my dad's going through. I'm sure he's fine, but it's a little challenge. So that's a little bit thorny. And then I place my hands on my heart and I give myself a nice little heart hug. <sighs> hmm. I'm just going to attend to that part of my being and rock myself. And we do this at the table. So my son's watching. It's like a physical thing you can do to help honor. That was thorny. And then the rose is that I've had this conversation with you and it's been great and we'll celebrate that. So physically I'll cheer and, and, you know, feel this sense of celebration and mark it. And so that's gesture, that's the use of gesture and honoring and really actually working with the body and giving it language, giving it space to speak and be heard. And just by honoring and giving space to that thorn feeling self is so tonifying. I love the word tonifying, uh, that the toning, you can feel that you're toning uh, some kind of muscle or some capacity building a core in there that's going to strengthen yes it's building it's actually literally building a pathway and the more we practice the pathways we do know from our neuroplastic uh, bodies beings and brains that if we practice a pathway we have it you know it's more worn down just like walking a path on grass wears it down so the more we rehearse that pathway. Like for instance, with roses and thorns, we were doing the rose first and the thorn second. And I finally dawned on me to uh, kind of apply polyvagal somatic it in a more organized way. So it's like, let's do the thorn, hold our hands for ourselves and then practice the pathway into the rose. It's not forced. It's not denying of anything. And it's also noticing, okay, there were cues of lack of safety in my day. And I can be compassionate to myself about those cues. And then I can also notice that there were cues of safety and I can amplify and celebrate those. And that actually starts to help shape the nervous system and shape the body. So it can make that journey through the day, not through ignoring the neuroception, but allowing and feeding into that um, noticing in the neurocepting of the safety cues and really amplifying and holding those too and letting those support the other ones. Well, the authentic transitions that you're making from those states uh, is, is so uh, subtle and sublime. <laughs> Instead of, as you're saying, the forced, now we're going to be happy, now we're going to be sad, now we're going to be, you know, it, it's uh, that's very remarkable, Ryan. So thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, and can you tell us where to find you? Sure. I have my, well, my website is blossomlife.com and I have resources there in my podcast and my blog. And that's probably the best way to find me. And there are wonderful tools there and practices. And I uh, highly um, encourage you to visit Rhea and we're going to have you back soon, hopefully because I love hearing about your work and your insight and the language that you're bringing uh, to us here is so needed. I'm really deeply grateful. Thank you so much, Rand. Oh, and for anyone looking for this, uh, if, you're, if you're hearing it, it is, uh, you can find more links and resources and probably a transcript eventually at kindredmedia.org. So. All right, thanks for having me, Lisa. I look forward to more 
collaborative conversations. Oh, thank you so much, Rita. Bye-bye.